Thanks for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. And the purpose of this particular chat is about paediatric ACL injuries. The BJSM and three other journals have just published a consensus statement which was hosted at the IOC and we need to give credit to the International Olympic Committee for consistently bringing expert groups together to examine important issues and then to share that information freely in open access sources. So I'm with Lars Ingebretsen who is a sports medicine leader in Norway in, involved in the leadership of the IOC and also an orthopedic surgeon so perfect host for that particular event and f- for us to learn from today. Lars thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. From my recollection you had a planning meeting a year ahead which is really important for these big consensus statements so people can go away and do work in a directed way and then you had the actual meeting in Lausanne where you thrashed things out for a couple of days and produced good work. What were any process issues that you want to highlight which will make this a very innovative contribution and then we'll talk about take-home messages. Well, first of all, we had uh, 22 uh, international uh, researchers in the field, so we were very well represented from all continents. And uh, actually the year before, two years beforehand, we had this meeting in Barcelona where we kind of gave uh, these people, we told them to help us by uh, stating which are the most serious issues among children with their anterior cruciate ligament injuries and with children in this case we meant children uh, 12 years or younger and they are obviously our future also in sports that's why the international olympic committee you know spent all this money for assembling us for uh, three days in lausanne where we kind of finalized the discussions that that they had already done some studies on and we had uh, three days of uh, discussions where we really got to the bottom of uh, this problem. Why don't you go through one or two issues in order about what you think the issue is and what solution you came to and recommended? Yeah, I think there, there are uh, the, the main issue right now is that there seems to be an increase in the incidence of these injuries in young children, partly because we are better at diagnosing it now, but um, data from Scandinavia and from Australia points towards uh, it actually being a real incidence increase. That's number one. The second one is that if you're unlucky and have an ACL injury, surgically treated or conservatively treated, it seems like there is about 30% uh, uh, relapse. Uh, either in your uh, normal knee or in the knee that was treated. And that means that these children are then uh, probably out of sports uh, or at least out of pivoting sports for the rest of their lives. So it's a very serious issue for these these children. And because they are so loose, the children are often looser in their knee when they get this injury than adults. Uh, They have a tendency to get cartilage injuries, and meniscal injuries as the years come back. Is there a particularly high risk profile? So if parents or clinicians are thinking about how to avoid this before we get onto treatment? Well, um, there are highlight sports, example, uh, team handball, basketball, um, to to a certain degree, uh, soccer or football. Uh, but in my country, uh, parents are really pushing their children hard to do sports, uh, any type of sport actually. So therefore, skiing is a big uh, thing in Norway. Actually, number one is t- twin tip skiing among uh, children 12 years or younger. Twin tip skis, you can ski both forward and backward. They t- spin uh, and they jump and they do all kinds of acrobatics. 
and the, that the leads their need to be at risk for having a ligament injury. So I think parents, uh, you know, they are really afraid that their children will have this ACL because then they are out of that kind of sport. That's number one. And number two is that they are, to a certain extent, uh, not only in Norway, but in many other countries, pushing their children uh, a little bit, maybe too much at too early stage. And they tend to be vulnerable for this type of an injury. I was going to ask about sex differences in this age group. Uh, basically, small children, there is no uh, gender difference. So up to 12, 13, the same. Boys play more football, they have more injuries. But overall, in a sense, it's the same. The big change comes between uh, 14 to 20, where uh, girls are at much higher risk. For reason we don't know for sure, but maybe it has something to do with the strength that they don't develop as uh, quickly as the boys. Because between 12 and 20 is a, is a uh, much, more, uh, much more dangerous for girls than for boys. And then after 20, it's about the same in both gender. Let's talk about treatment because there are some special issues for treating the paediatric knee. That's actually the main reason for us bringing this up with the experts. Children have growth uh, areas and those are at risk for both for surgery and for injuries. So when you do a reconstruction of your ACL in a child, uh, I would say below 14 for boys and below uh, or for girls and below 16 for boys, the risk for injuring the growth uh, area is, is there. And if you injure that, then you can either get malalignment or you, your leg becomes longer or shorter. So that's the problem. And that's the main thing that we try to avoid. And that is the main reason for not operating on these children until they are fully grown. And there are some dis uh, disagreements there. Uh, the US doctors want to operate right away whereas the Scandinavian doctors says the opposite. They kind of tend to wait until the patient is older. Both have arguments. The US doctors say if you don't operate, you'll have meniscal injuries, and then you have cartilage injuries in OI early. Whereas the Norwegian or the Scandinavian doctors say, you know, if you, if you really train them very well with good physios, good strength, good way of uh, have proprioception, we probably don't need to do surgeries until they are older, and maybe then we only need to do surgery to about half of them. And you reminded me to make the point that in your expert group in Barcelona, you had physiotherapists well represented. So just to be clear, there wasn't an orthopedic group exclusively. And you've given us the two sides of the picture, Lars. So we're with you today. We might talk to an American orthopedic surgeon later. But what would you advise the clinician in a neutral country who's trying to make this decision? Well, I would uh, actually, uh, if I had a boy or girl who's 12 years old with an ACL injury, I would try to avoid the surgery until they are 18 or something like that, if they still have a problem. And I would then uh, advise them to work very hard on their strength and uh, coordination in the knee. And I know from science that that can be done. And if you do that, then you will avoid problems. Uh, and then you can make a decision finally when you're 18, 19, whether you want to have this. That's my recommendation. But there are, um, there are uh, research uh, pointing towards uh, being more active, doing, res doing uh, surgery earlier as well. So I recognize that is uh, the, 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 I would say, jury is still out on this one. But my personal way of doing it is to do it conservatively. And clearly individual cases are different. So have there been a subgroup or a particular case where you've opted for conservative 
approach to protect the growth plate, but then the person has recurrent injuries or giving way and then you'd operate? Is there a scenario like that? Yeah, so we have a deal where we treat them conservatively, but then uh, they can anytime reach me if they have a problem, either with recurrent swelling or locking of the knee or something like that. And if they have one subluxation per three months, then we actually operate on them, regardless of their age. Well, that sounds like a terrific summary, Lars. And you've reminded me of one last thing, which is meniscal injuries. There's always that challenge about protecting a meniscus, a meniscal suture. So let's talk about that in the context of children. Yeah, uh, meniscus is probably even more important than ACL in, in children. And it's very repairable. So if you have a meniscal injury, patient will have some swelling, maybe a little bit of extension deficit in the knee. Uh, do an MRI, repair it. Uh, it's easy to do. Most orthopedic surgeons now that do knees can do this. And the results are actually quite good for repairing uh, the meniscus, better than for repairing the ACL. And there's evidence that this may be the single most important thing you can do to prevent arthritis? I wouldn't say it's good evidence because, you know, we don't have these 20-year follow-ups on these patients. But from my point of view, um, if I re don't repair a meniscus and the patient lacks lateral meniscus, for example, then they'll have OA radiographically in 10 years. I know if I fix it, uh, my, my personal experience then is going to take longer. But if they have a meniscal injury, they are at higher risk, uh, you know, 40 years down the road. I'll give you a chance to just thank all the contributors to this particular consensus statement. Yeah, you know, we had uh, physiotherapists from uh, Canada, US, uh, Australia, uh, Norway, Sweden, and we had uh, orthopedic surgeons from all continents. Uh, and um, uh, they really did a good job for two in two years of time to uh, put all the most important questions down on the table. Uh, they looked up their literature for all that. And then in addition to their own experience, made this meeting a very, very worthwhile. And, uh, you know, it was great that the International Olympic Committee would uh, uh, grant uh, this type of money that we can actually do these type of consensus meetings. So they're very, very important. Thanks for those comments, Lars. And as always, thanks to you, the listener. As an added feature, I asked Lars a few questions on his return from the Winter Olympic Games. If you're interested in this topic, feel free to listen on for a five-minute supplement. And we hear that Norway is quite interested in winter sports and pretty good at it. But tell us what the messages are for clinicians who are at home and heard about some of the events in the Games. I think that uh, the message is that uh, this high level of sports still, still uh, has some problems. Uh, you can say that uh, the newer sports, uh, snowboard, uh, more, uh, snowboard cross, uh, slope style, big air, um, big jumps and so forth, and so to a certain extent also uh, downhill alpine skiing, uh, the problems we have with injuries there has not been solved. It is getting better. We did have some serious injuries, but not really serious injuries in uh, in Pyeongchang. So I think that uh, my impression is that the, the medical people that comes with the teams are much better prepared than previously. And I'd say that from experience, because I've been to the game since uh, the first one was actually in LA in 1984. So I've been to many games and I've worked for the IOC since Beijing. And the level of uh, knowledge now among sports medicine persons uh, is quite uh, 
really, really much better than it used to be. It's great news. So you feel that the field has advanced and the IOC has contributed to that through the courses. Now, I think it's reasonable to make a short pl plug about the IOC online courses before we move on. Yeah, those courses were made because of uh, experiences we had in the early Beijing games, London games. 900 doctors from around the world and level quite uh, variable. And therefore, we changed uh, our way of uh, teaching Instead of traveling around the world and try to give uh, courses for uh, you know 20 people, uh, we made together with Ron Mon a web-based two-year uh, study, IOC diploma study for doctors and then for physical therapists. It's a uh, pretty uh, cumbersome uh, thing to do, uh, and you need to spend about uh, one fourth of your time over two periods of six months. There are exams, assignments, and a final exam. And uh, I think we're getting there. We're getting more and more people to take part in this. And it is, can all be done on the uh, internet. So whatever you are, you should be able to uh, follow the lectures, do the assignments, and then do the final exam. And there are four different options, right, for four different health professions? Yes, you have the, uh, the first one was actually for nutritionists, which has been very successful. There are a number of nutritionists around the world who's done this course. Second one was for uh, doctors, uh, and the third one for a physical therapist. And now there is one for just launch, launching now for uh, pharmacy for sports medicine uh, doctors. Uh, you can say that the pharmacy for in general is something that most MDs know something about, but the sports pharmacy now is so different from real regular pharmacy. So I think it's a very good thing. Uh, it's a half a year course, and uh, it would be very worthwhile for uh, doctors doing this this kind of high-level sports medicine. And the BJSM deliberately has a multidisciplinary community, so it's great to hear about that on the podcast. Hooking back to Pyeongchang, now, Lars, what about the injuries? So you mentioned the big air and the slope style and the spectacular things to watch, and clearly there's a risk in those sports, and the athletes know that. And there was a Canadian, Mark McMorris, who was nearly dead from an episode at Whistler, crashing into a tree from a great height, and then he competed and won a medal. And that's an inherent part of risk, it's the part of the sport. So how do you weigh that up in your role in IOC, where you're trying to have safety, but you're also trying to make the sport spectacular and not trying to change the thrust of it? And we've had a similar discussion with rugby, where there's some risks, but how do, how do you think about that issue? Well, what we do is based on the uh, surveillance that we've done over so many years. So we know which sports uh, have problems. We go into those sports and we work with international federations and try to have the IOC grant uh, research money for groups uh, that are doing research. A good example could be, for example, uh, slope style or, um, or uh, half pipes. Half pipe was a little bit difficult in Pyeongchang. And we are now doing uh, research, and IOC is putting almost uh, f a million uh, Swiss francs into it on how to make these um, half pipes and the jumps in slope style and so forth safer by changing the venues, the type of uh, uh, jumps that they have to do. And we think that this is uh, one way of going to, to change the relatively high uh, uh, level of, or high frequency of injuries. You know, in Vancouver, in ladies' uh, uh, snowboard, 70% uh, were injured. 
and that is really really high it is much lower now uh, it's less serious i think but we still had a couple of uh, serious injuries partly caused by the difficult uh, weather conditions we had in pyeongchang with cold weather but foremost uh, really really heavy winds Lars, was there a practical thing you did between the Vancouver Winter Olympic Games and Pyeongchang that reduced the snowboard cross, if I've got that right? So you said the injury went down. What, what did you do to make that work? I think for foremost, the jumps were changed a little bit. So uh, the ladies don't, uh, they, they land, they don't land in upward hill anymore. Uh, they're a little bit smaller. Uh, and the overall, I should say, um, architecture of the venues were uh, much better. And now, you know, there's been several years, eight years since Vancouver. So they have experienced this in World Cup uh, over a longer period of time. And they have a lot of experience in how to put the venues together. And I think our input in that has been to say that this venue looks difficult you've got to change this or these injuries are typical this is something we can deal with um, i feel we have some influence in it not as much as i'd like to see and we don't have all the data yet to say say that uh, you know in particular you should take this out or you've got to change this um, we don't have that yet uh, so we still need for more research in this area i hope you enjoyed those comments from lars ingebrigtsen it's great to have access to the head of the IOC sports medicine team in person and I'd encourage you to consider the BJSM app as a regular way to listen to BJSM podcasts if you're not already one of the 10,000 people using it. 